0: Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland.
1: And I'm Amy Keller. We've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about what we should eat, but I think it's important to also talk about when we should eat. So we're gonna unpack that old saying, and I know you've all heard it, eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, and dinner like a pauper. So there's a history to this, we're gonna have a little history lesson, and then we're gonna talk about, is this really true?
0: Well, welcome back everyone. We took a little bit of a break here in the summer. I think it's been strange with the pandemic. No big travel plans, but every once in a while trying to get a little change of scenery and take a little break. So we're happy to be back with you all.
1: I hope you all are staying safe. I know things are getting hairy in some states, including ours, unfortunately. And I'm hoping everybody's staying safe and eating healthy and, you know, not worrying about the groceries, those <laughs> types of things. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm certainly ready for things to go back to quote unquote normal. I know you yeah. are as well.
0: I am, but I think we, I think we need to set ourselves up for it. It's going to be a while.
1: <laughs> yeah, I so... know. I've, I've been reading a lot about the vaccine in the last couple of days and you know, I I'm, I'm, can't wait for it to get here, but I right. hope that when it gets here, that it works and right. that things can kind of return to, you know, the, at least the kids can get back to school. It's been it's been really tough thinking yeah. about not going back with sports and band and yeah. all those things that kiddos enjoy. So. I'm
0: I'm optimistic. I'm hearing you know with the vaccine that hopefully we'll have it sooner than later. So
1: cross my fingers, cross my fingers. Yep.
0: Cross her fingers and her toes.
1: Yes. So let's do a little (laughs) nutrition history lesson. I thought when you brought up this topic, that somebody had to say this first, and I had no idea who it was. Right. But you did a little bit of digging on on the person who came up with this saying.
0: I did, because it's been around, and it keeps coming, and I'm like, well, but who said that before? And so this quote is attributed to Miss Adele Davis. Uh, She was born February 25th, 1904, and she passed away May 31st, 1974. She was a popular writer and lecturer on food and health, and she was born in Litson, Indiana. This lady is very interesting. Um, Let me talk a little bit about her background. This is, now keep in mind, uh, she graduated high school, and then she went and studied economics at Purdue University in 1923 to 1925. Then she transferred to University of California at Berkeley, and she received a Bachelor's of Arts in Household Science in 1927. I wonder if that's old school family
1: and consumer sciences. Yeah. Household science. I wonder if that's sort of interesting.
0: Yeah. But then she went on and she did further training in dietetics at New York's Bellevue and Fordham Hospitals, And she supervised nutrition in the Yonkers New York Public Schools and served as a nutritionist for New York obstetricians. So she was kind of an early bird dietitian. Celebrity Um,
1: dietitian. Celebrity, yes,
0: yes. So she actually uh, returned to California in 1931, and she started her own private consulting practice in nutrition. And uh, she got into... Publications, and so in 1932, she she published a promotional pamphlet for a milk company. She really got a variety of a a nutrition experience as a dietitian or nutritionist. Uh, She also created like these optimal health pamphlets, you can stay well pamphlets, and a nutrition handbook, vitality through planned nutrition. In 1942, but her public acclaim was on four books that she created. One was "Let's Cook It Right" in 1947. Uh, then she had "Let's Have Healthy Children" in 1930. I'm sorry, 1951. "Let's Eat Right to Keep Fit" in 1954, and finally "Let's Get Well" in 1965. So these four Let's books and their revisions sold 10 million copies, mostly in paperback during her (laughs) lifetime. And so uh, she began traveling widely on the lecture circuit and uh, especially college campuses, speaking also in Latin America and Europe. And she became a sought after guest on television talk shows.
1: So she had this saying. Did she have anything else that uh, we might know? Oh,
0: yes. It was actually quite interesting. She has this on this Adele Davis Foundation website, and I'll provide a link in our show notes. But she had a lot of interesting quotes. Uh, Let's see here. The other one that's probably the most famous is, you are what you eat. Mm -hmm. How many times have we heard that? Yep. I'm going to read a few here. This one is. To say that obesity is caused by merely consuming too many calories is like saying that the only cause of the American Re- Revolution was the Boston Tea Party. Huh. I got of thought that was an interesting quote.
1: I like the way she thinks.
0: I do, too.
1: <laughs> she was ahead of her time.
0: She was very much ahead of her time. Uh, oh, this was a good one. Thousands upon thousands of persons have studied disease. Almost no one has studied health. And unfortunately, that's still kind of true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And let's see. uh, Since we spend approximately a thousand hours a year eating our meals, they should be pleasant hours. And this one was a little on the gotcha side. Uh, Let's see. This was... As I see it, every day you do one of two things, build health or produce disease in yourself.
1: Wow. Kind of harsh.
0: Kind of harsh, but yeah. true, I guess. I, yeah. You know, so. And then finally, I like this one. Nutrition has been kicked around like a puppy that cannot take care of itself. Food fattest and crackpots have kicked it pretty cruelly.
1: Well, that is definitely ahead of her time, <laughs> telling you what. Right? But a lot of puppies have been kicked around in the last few years, traditionally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. So, yep. which, which brings us to, you know, this this idea of eating breakfast like a king, uh, dinner like a pauper. It's come up several times, and I I don't know if it's somewhat in the face of you know, the intermittent fasting that's going on right now, we hear mm-hmm. a lot about that. And I think that, you know, it gets back to what you were saying about when we eat. Is that important? And right. so I was excited to take a deeper look at this. And, uh,
1: you know, I think about you, you know, what you said there was about intermittent fasting, because that is all over age now. And, and it does seem like about every day now I'm pulling up new articles that talk about, you know, this time-restricted feeding. Mm -hmm. So, you know, either you're eating in a 10-hour window or an 8-hour window or certain days, I guess, is a little different than what we're talking about now. And I always wonder about that because I don't know if it's just the act of restricting the hours that you eat means that you just eat less because you are, you're restricting the time that you can actually prepare food. Mm -hmm. or is it a case where there's something metabolically that's different when you restrict the hours that you eat or in like this situation, is it better to front load your calories? Is there something metabolically? And there's a study that I'll refer to later. Mm -hmm. Is it better metabolically to eat those calories in the morning? Do you have a better chance to quote unquote burn them off? And, you know, I know, we dietitians say it doesn't matter when you eat. Right, I think that's always been my, you know, it doesn't matter if you eat after six or seven, it doesn't matter. Right. But is there something that we could take away from this saying, even if it's not something that you commit to totally, is there something that we can take away that maybe does benefit us? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a look at kind of a, a summary of, I found a really good kind of summary resource with uh, NHS with the United Kingdom actually. And that this was this came out a few years ago. And then we'll look at the study that you mentioned that's a little more recent. But it was kind of just looking at the research that's out there because these cli- claims are happening all the time and they called it chrononutrition. Um uh, mm-hmm. you know, which involves seeing if we when we eat is important as what we eat and so they reviewed and what they were suggesting was eating more of our total f- daily food intake in the evening which is most common in the United States as well as the United Kingdom that it may be linked to obesity but that the evidence is not conclusive and they included a review of a variety of findings that were out there and there was a wide variety, variation in eating patterns of different countries. And so they were able to look at that and show... I mean, we have known for years and years and years that eating breakfast is linked to a lower risk of obesity. And, you know, the, the national... The national... The national weight registry here in the United States tracks that tracks people who have lost weight and they track it over time. And all they really know is kind of what are the behaviors that are similar. And a lot of the behavior that shows that these people are actually keeping their weight off for a significant amount of time, those people all have in common that they eat breakfast. So
1: I don't know how much that research has unpacked what they eat No, Um, yeah. In terms of, um, I'm actually a member of the National Weight Control Registry. Yeah, I am. So I get these surveys a couple times a year Uh and fill them out. And there are a variety of subjects, but one of the things that they will ask is about breakfast eating. But I I can't recall now if they ask specifically, like, what people ate for breakfast or if it's just more of a generic do-you-eat-breakfast yeah. Whether they get into do you eat a big breakfast or a small breakfast or or you know right. of course that's so subjective for different people too. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that because again then we also look at studies that now say, you know, well it's better to miss that morning meal because yeah. you're time restricted feeding. I don't know. It's right. it's very it's very interesting.
0: Yeah, I agree. But I think that's the point is a lot of these studies that you and I have looked at getting ready for today was just a a lot of them are just mostly observational they're not really measuring (laughs) studies and so
1: a quick review for our listeners if you've missed (laughs) earlier podcasts observational studies do not prove cause and effect so just because you can see something happening Mm -hmm. does not mean that one thing had to do to another so you know for example that that observational study is not a randomized control trial where there was a lot of different things that are being controlled. Simply observational studies can say, well, one thing happened and another mm-hmm. thing happened, but they cannot prove that one caused the other. So you right. can say from these studies that people who eat breakfast have lower BMI or body mass index, mm-hmm. but did that, did that mean one cause the other? Right. Did it mean that because they ate breakfast that they had a lower BMI or is they just, or simply are those just those things existing at the same time that one may not cause the other. So that's a good reminder that when you see studies like that to kind of say, well, that's interesting, but it may not mean that breakfast had really anything to do right. with a lower BMI. It just means that they existed in the same space. Right. Basically.
0: And that's, you know, so this study came out in 2016 and they, Basically, they reviewed studies that looked at that association between the time mm-hmm. of day and obesity or weight, and then summarized the findings of other studies right. as well. So, right. you know, they did exclude studies that included specific groups, um, so like an athlete or specific medical conditions. But you know, they described their general study inclusion. It, it was just, it was kind of what you would expect from. It was just more of a systemic systemic review of what's out there, right?
1: Right. And what they, I think what's important to note about this too, is that, you know, they looked at all these different studies, but again, the researchers did not say that one necessarily caused the other. They can say that energy intake, excessive energy intake or calorie intake in the evening might be a risk factor Mm -hmm. for being overweight or obese, but again, there's no way to really prove that right short of having a very controlled feeding study which i will say in the study that i i pulled today they did Uh um and i'll I'll talk a little bit about that in a second
0: yeah so these researchers did identify four main patterns of food consumptions and that was seen from different studies from different countries so i thought that was interesting so right one of the patterns was equal energy consumption at breakfast and dinner with the greatest consumption at lunch. And that was like Guatemala and Poland. This, then there was the second pattern, which was smaller energy consumption at breakfast, Mm -hmm. greater consumption at lunch, followed by dinner. So dinner was a lot, not as big as lunch and breakfast was relatively small. That is what they do in France, Switzerland, and Italy. Italy. And then equal energy consumption at breakfast and dinner with the smallest consumption at lunch was seen in Sweden. And then finally the last pattern was the smallest consumption at breakfast, greater consumption at lunch and greatest consumption at dinner. Exact opposite of eat like a king, yeah. <laughs> eat like a prince. Uh, and that was seen actually in a lot of countries, including the United States, United Kingdom, Germany, Canada, Denmark, Netherlands, and Belgium. Right. So, and then they included studies that looked at the link between eating and the daytime and the weight So key findings were one study found people who ate more in the evening compared with the morning were likely to have a higher BMI. Mm -hmm. And then one study found eating between meals was linked to more body fat. And then one study found people who didn't eat breakfast ate more later in the day and had a higher BMI. So nothing that we don't already see.
1: Right. And I guess the, I, I have a couple of questions about this, you yeah. know, is it the time of day or is it food selection? So, the, you know, I, when I give presentations, one of the things that I always say is, you know, yes, it doesn't matter what time you eat during the day. However, nobody's raiding the veggie tray at 1030 <laughs> at night. You're just not. Right. Let's be realistic at night. It's settle down time, television time. You know, and it makes it especially even if you've had dinner, you know, going back and getting a snack, Uh you know, at ten o'clock at night is not unusual for many people, right? Including myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes we don't, because of the time of day, and I think maybe this even has to do with brain chemistry, uh, that the selections we make are serotonin producers. You know, calming. Uh You're thinking about eating those high carbohydrate foods at night kind of helps to calm the brain and we tend to select those things because they are comforting at that hour of the day. Yeah. And then if you think about it too, think about your schedule during the day, you know, you're busy at breakfast, probably busy at lunch Mm -hmm. and supper time or after is when you're maybe not as busy. Right. And so it's really easy to focus more on eating and Mm -hmm. maybe less on, okay, I got to go do the next thing. Like we do at breakfast and lunch often.
0: Right. And sometimes people are so hungry at that point. And I don't yes. think that they maybe even realize that. And it sets them up for a pat. Here's what I see. I, I mean, I can tell you what I see anecdotally from my clients. A lot of times when they're doing that and they're eating all those calories in the evening or, or at night, they're not getting hungry in the morning. Right. So that it just leads into a whole cycle of eating as well so i agree with you that a lot of it is mindless eating i but if i guess if i get somebody to kind of take a look that's why food records are great right so if you aren't sure how you're eating just start keeping track of what you're eating and it if most of your calories are coming at night in one big meal and, or I have a lot of pe- people who come home and they just start eating and they don't stop eating until bedtime. Right. So it's not even a matter of having dinner and then a snack or, you know what I mean? It's a matter of, Mm-mm. it starts and it doesn't stop because they didn't eat a very big breakfast and they didn't eat a very big lunch. And so if we can start taking that focus and start saying, okay, let's try to eat more at breakfast and more at lunch, then I do see a back off on how much is eaten at night. And I do see people say, you know what, that really worked. I was in much better control. I didn't feel like I needed to eat all night. And so it really did help to eat more calories earlier in the day.
1: Absolutely. So you can say, okay, is it a, a situation where they're not starving themselves during the day. You know, I've had those food records, and I know you've seen them too. You know, 100 calories at breakfast, 200 calories at lunch, yep. <laughs> and 1,500 calories at dinner. Right. And I will say, I, I, you know, I can count, you know, on one hand, the number of people with new onset diabetes who mm-hmm. eat three times a day. Yeah. Most of the time, most people I'm working with, I eat once a day, I eat twice a day. Yep. You know, or I don't eat at all. I literally just peace all day, and then by dinnertime, when my spouse comes home or whatever, it's eat or be eaten. You know, it's a lot of food at that hour because they're so hungry. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other thing to remember is, again, from a brain chemistry standpoint, the fewer calories you eat, the fewer carbohydrates you eat, the more your body's going to want calories and carbohydrates. Right. And so if you feel like you're out of control with food, especially at night, Mm -hmm. or or carbs, especially at night, I always think one of the things that might be helpful to look at is, are you eating enough carbs during the day? Right. Or are you low-carb at all day long? Mm -hmm. And then by nighttime, oh my gosh.
0: Right. You're behind the eight ball. So your body's like, and our bodies are amazing at sending those signals out saying, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) This isn't good. I need a little more calories than this. So right, yep,
1: yeah. It brings me to that study that I mentioned. You know, again, metabolically, is there an advantage? And they did do. There's one study that I found today. It's very recent. It's from February. The one thing to remember about this study is it's very small. Only 16 people, all men, of course. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course all men who are of normal weight, so nobody who was overweight or obese and they didn't mention any diabetes or anything like that. okay. But what they did is a three day in laboratory study. so very controlled, randomized and crossover. So again these people were not there for months and months. three days but for you know three days. three right, days. Okay, right. okay. but what they had d- did is they had 16 normal weight men and they were fed either uh, a predetermined low calorie breakfast. And a high calorie dinner or, vi- or vice versa, depending okay. on the group that they were in. And then they, what they did is they measured how many calories their body was burning using something called indirect calorimetry. Okay. So, which is a really fancy way to measure calories. Mm-hmm. I've only seen it done. I've never actually gotten to do one. Yeah. Um, but it's really, <laughs> and then they also measured their hunger and appetites for sweets in terms of like a, a hunger rating scale. Hmm. And so what they found in this study, and again, remembering it's very small uh, and only on a certain patient population, is that those who ate that higher calorie breakfast had two and a half more times body calorie burning uh, compared to eating that bigger meal at night. So what that meant is their bodies burned more calories so that diet-induced thermogenesis basically
0: Mm -hmm.
1: was better when they ate earlier in the morning. The other thing it found is that the study found that the insulin concentrations, and we're going to get into diabetes here in a second, because I know that's something that you see a lot, were diminished after having a bigger breakfast as compared to bigger dinner. So their insulin was less dramatically affected. And then finally, those who ate low-calorie breakfast, so very skimpy breakfast, again, they're saying 11% of their daily calories at breakfast, had more appetite for sweets during the day.
0: That's so interesting. it's
1: very interesting to show that even in identical calories, just by flipping those meals, and again the high calorie dinner was seventy percent of their calories for the day. Okay. And then they flipped that and made that breakfast 70% of the calories. Okay. And so the having that bigger breakfast in this particular study really did maybe given a metabolic advantage to these patients and possibly not necessarily a psychological one, but in terms of a cravings one Uh that they had fewer cravings for sweets throughout Mm -hmm. the day when they had that larger breakfast. So maybe that's a takeaway, you know, if you find that you're craving those sweets and things like that during the day, maybe looking and seeing what breakfast looks like, if it's very skimpy, It's, you know, if it's a granola bar or even nothing. See, that's the question
0: Um, I have is what was the composition of those meals? Because that can affect, yeah, that can affect your insulin response, number one. So, and then number two, I want to know is like, what else did they eat during the, did they eat during the day at all? They don't really mention that. Yeah. Um, it's just, I see studies like that, and it's fascinating, yes, but I ha- it always raises more questions for me <laughs> than right. tends to answer. So that's why it's cool, and I think, you know, like I said, good science, we've said this in the past, is something that can be re- repeatable and in yes. that type of thing. So it doesn't surprise me that you crave sweets, but the question I have is, did they ask them... Did they crave sweets or did they specifically? Did they? A lot of us attribute sweets when it's really carbohydrates. Right. And it's really carbohydrates that our body really wants. And it's just, right. I think if people have a predisposition to sweets, some people don't have that pre, they don't have those cravings, but they do have the cravings for carbohydrates. So right. I think that's important to flesh out too if that study's looked at again is could, you know, what kind of cravings were they? Right. But all of them obviously are tied to the insulin response. Right. So that gets me to, to me in my mind, what makes sense here with this whole idea of timing of a meal, I do think it's important. I work with a lot of diabetics, and we have to work on eating consistently throughout the day in order to control those blood sugars. And I see that that works. I know that that works with blood sugar control. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. We've talked about that a little bit in previous podcasts, but just eating consistently, I think, is very important also for controlling blood sugars and therefore what. I'm not measuring it, but I'm assuming insulin response,
1: right? And Ins- um, I think it, yeah. Anytime you skip meals, or you have meals that are incomplete, just carbohydrates, right? You know, not or protein. Just protein, mm-hmm. right? That you see uh, an an uneven glucose response. Absolutely.
0: So, to me, in my mind, I guess. There's a couple things that are difficult with that eating like a king for breakfast and a prince for lunch, papa for dinner is when I have a diabetic, I don't think I feel comfortable making that recommendation. I would not. I would not make that recommendation for somebody who's got prediabetes or diabetes. I would say it's now if I look at their food records, you know, that's a great concept to kind of think about. And if that helps you balance your day better, if all of your mm-hmm. calories are coming from at night, then yeah, I do think there does need to be a shift, and mm-hmm. so that shift can be helpful to do. So, I think that to me is a good thing from that saying. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's, it's. I think it's. I think it's tough too because, you know, there's such a dieting mindset in this country. That if you can just eat, just you miss breakfast, skip breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I ate a single breakfast in college, and I gained forty pounds to show for that. Uh huh. And I think there's an idea that by skipping meals, you're saving up calories right. for later. <laughs> yeah. Or if you are, there's such a mindset of you know, or in a, and you can even get into genders and say, you know, women shouldn't need a big breakfast. You know, it's okay for a man to sit down to a huge breakfast, yeah. but women weren't, we're supposed to sit down to dry toast, right? you know, and, and, and coffee right. or how many people have, that's what they have for breakfast is coffee. Mm-hmm. And just like you had mentioned, I think you train your body. To not be hungry in the morning Mm -hmm. or you overeat so much at night. And I think everybody's had that experience where you've had maybe a late meal or you've had a bigger bedtime snack or you went out for ice cream or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then the next morning you're like, ugh, I didn't want breakfast because I'm not hungry.
0: Right. But if
1: I'd stopped eating at 6.30 the night before and didn't have a bunch of snacks at night, then maybe by 6.30 in the morning I would be hungry. Right. Absolutely. Right.
0: So a lot of things kept coming up while I did this research, too, on circadian rhythm. It kept tying us all back to the circadian rhythm and all that, too. I don't know. I think it's fascinating. I I think there definitely needs to be more research out there if we find out that our bodies are more efficient at burning calories in the morning or better at our insulin responses in the morning when we have bigger meals in the morning. I think that's interesting and I do, I do agree with eating a bigger breakfast. I just don't necessarily agree that we have to eat a huge breakfast, a medium right. lunch and a low and a sl- right. a small dinner. And it, right. it just goes against, uh, <clears throat> to me, dinner is family time. Dinner is right. when we have the opportunity to yes. eat together and that is yes. so important.
1: And so I don't want to take that away either so, it would be a seismic shift It would in be a seismic culture. shift. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting, you, you mentioned that the culturally, the U.S., the U.K., Germany, uh, Canada, sort of these Western countries versus um, in other parts of the world where there is more of a focus on that lunch meal because they mm-hmm. have a two-hour lunch. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it, in France or Spain, your, yeah. they really focus on that mm-hmm. long lunch. Uh, yeah. We don't have that kind of time. No, and we're not given that as as workers. You Mm -hmm. know, people are expected to eat at their desks, or Mm -hmm. eat really quickly, or don't eat at all. Because you're not given a lunch break.
0: I tell you, (laughs) when when I do eat on vacation, yes, we will. A lot of times on uh, vacation, we'll go and have an earlier dinner and or a big lunch, and then dinner either becomes a snack or. You know what I mean? And I actually, I feel better when I do that. I get up, I have a decent breakfast and I'll eat a little something if we're going to have a late, like an early dinner or, you know, but I like that when the bigger meal is in the middle of the day, I feel better. I know I do.
1: I wonder if that's a digestion thing, too, because you're up and around in the middle of the day still. mm -hmm. You know, if you think about eating in the evening, especially at nighttime for those who have reflux disease, you know, if you have a big bedtime meal and you lay down, goodness gracious. Right. You know, you can be up all all night feeling mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. If we eat in the middle of the day or even in the morning, you you have all day to be up moving around. And yep. digestion is better, and you're less likely to have reflux issues if you're not eating at night, yeah. or not eating a lot of heavy meals at night anyway. But yeah, it would be a seismic shift in our culture, yep. because again, their focus is that we we don't eat breakfast or we eat breakfast on the go mm-hmm. and then we work through lunch or you eat know, lunch at our desks scarf something down <laughs> right there's no enjoyment of it right in those situations and then by the time you get to evening then it's time to sit down and enjoy your meal and so mm-hmm. it would be really hard for us to say well you know, you sit down and you have nothing but a small snack while your family eats dinner. That That's not really <laughs> right. practical either. No. But maybe are there some things that we can take away from this, this kind of thought? You know, so for example, where my clients or my patients struggle to get protein is at breakfast. Mm-hmm. Do you have suggestions besides sitting down to an omelet or bacon <laughs> for what you talk about? Let's say even protein on the go. What do you talk about with your patients? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I like to talk about hard boiled eggs. <laughs> yep. So that's easy. Um those can be made up on the weekend and then you have them and they're grab and go protein sources. I even will do uh I like e- even just like an english muffin with ham, you know, like um uh, almost like a ham sandwich, a breakfast sandwich with you know, and if you've got hard boiled eggs, you can cut those up and put them on a sandwich and eat them in the morning. But yogurt is a great breakfast item. It's a combination of protein and and, uh, carbohydrates. So that can be a great way to add protein. Having a glass of milk with your breakfast. For me, a breakfast typically is a banana with peanut butter and a big glass of milk with it. So I'm getting the protein from the milk and a little bit from the peanut butter. Mm -hmm. And then the fat... Definitely helps make me feel full. So okay,
1: yeah, I think that's where people struggle because they feel like when they hear the words "big breakfast," they think of you know going to a restaurant and right. sitting down and having three three pancakes and two strips of bacon and a couple of eggs, and and that that's not what I'm necessarily talking about Correct. when I'm saying eat a big breakfast. You can do breakfast sandwiches are great because they are portable that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, homemade, of course, is always better than buying something that's pre-done. Although right. pre-done, if it's better than nothing. Right. You know, right. if you buy something that's, you know, a processed sandwich that's a, just a heat and go. Yeah. But, you know, those things don't take long to make. No. If you had to make them from scratch.
0: Wraps are good, too, for that. Wraps right. are even better than an English muffin because you wouldn't have to cook it. So you right. could just wrap it and go. What about
1: lunchtime? You know, if you are somebody who has to eat at your desk or who maybe is told, you know, you have very limited time to eat, what kind of things do you suggest? Because, again, if they get to the point where they're not eating enough at lunch and then they are setting themselves up for those evening, you know, overeating sessions, what kind Mm -hmm. of things would you suggest?
0: That, That gets harder, but... You know, I think that comes down to planning ahead and trying to pack a meal or something that you can bring with you. And it just depends on the situation as well. So salad kits I like because they're already made up. And then I will take some leftover chicken from the night before because usually those salad kits don't have a lot of protein in them. But that means that that's not exactly what you're describing is like you don't have a lot of time for lunch uh that's if you're i see that as like somebody eating at their desk where they might have the time but they're also doing other things i think those salad kits are good if you're truly in a hurry then packing the night before i mean i i sometimes will make extra dinner and then pack it after dinner instead of putting it away uh, i put it away as my lunch for the next day and so yeah. something that I can just heat up super quick and then eat, that's that's to me the fastest, most efficient way to have a quick breakfast or I'm sorry, a quick lunch. But sandwiches are always good. Carrots, hummus, you know, trying to get some vegetables in there, any kind of raw vegetable, cucumbers, broccoli, right. carrots, I mean, sugar snap peas, those types of things are great, raw. And then adding to that, an apple a day, they say, you know, that's another saying that's out there. It wasn't Adele's saying, but, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I always like apples are my my grab-and-go fruit for lunch. Uh, It's an easy thing to do. And then, yeah, just make sure that you have some sort of protein with your meal, a sandwich or leftover chicken or something from the night before.
1: Right. I mean, I think even about like you know folks who are who drive for a living,
0: Uh, truckers and
1: people, or people who are busy who drive over their lunch hour to get to their next appointment. Yeah. You know, people. You're if you can. You mentioned that packing the night before really keeps you out of the drive-through. Right. Yep. If you have something that you know you've already put together, Mm -hmm. it keeps you away from the mercy of the the fast food drive-through. But um, even
0: if you do do the drive through if you've packed yourself an apple and some carrots, you know what right? I mean? You can, then you, all you have to do is grab a sandwich or grab right. something that's easy to eat in their car. That makes it somewhat easy too, but. Right. Yeah. yeah. I know
1: so many people who, you know, they, again, are expected to miss lunch or expected to work through lunch. And sometimes I wonder if that's something we expect of ourselves. Yeah. More than our actual employer expecting it of us.
0: Yeah. That,
1: yeah. You know, we think we're too important. I have to say one of the uh, advantages to COVID has been, and this has been just a weird side benefit. I used to eat at my desk oh. and I don't do that anymore because I share my office with a, another person. Right. And I would have to take my mask off to eat. <clears throat> yeah. And I don't want to do that uh-huh. when she's in the office because we need to be masked. We're in a fairly right. small space. So I have to leave the office now to eat, to eat. Uh-huh. and I find just a little cubby in the, in the hospital, and I eat my, my lunch now away from my desk for the first time in 17 years.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: it's been refreshing. It yeah. really has been. Good. You know, I, of course, I'm not completely undistracted. I use the time to, you know, catch up on things or whatever, but it has been a positive to be able to step away from the desk. And I think that we all owe ourselves that, you know, the (laughs) opportunity to be able to step away from it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the nice things for me, I'm not in a hospital setting, but being at home is I'm able to make lunches. And so sometimes it's kind of cool because I'll just find what's left over in our refrigerator and be able to use up food and not waste food as much either i'm finding because i'm able to find those leftover today i had like leftover noodles sorry my cat is meowing um (laughs) (laughs) if you guys all hear that in the background that's that's turner so
1: but i want to be on the podcast yeah
0: (laughs) but i had some leftover chicken some leftover um noodles and I had leftover, uh, pizza sauce. I turned the pizza sauce. I just added some Italian seasoning, garlic, made it into like a spaghetti sauce and made a little chicken parm for lunch and had some melon for, for some fruit. So in in a way being at home for lunch has opened up some really new different things that I, I mean, I would never have done that at work, (laughs) Right. you know, that's great. So creativity, some, yeah, it allows you some creativity. So, Yeah.
1: And then what about the evening? You know, again, we, you mentioned you have patients who get home and they don't stop eating from the time that they walk in the door. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any tips for that? That's really tough.
0: It is. And I think what happens is we get ourselves into a situation where we're eating lunch at 11 or 12 o'clock and then we're walking in the door at five, maybe even six, if you've gone and done a workout first, you know, or, you know, and you walk in and you're starving. So I would say, let's look at the afternoon and let's add in a snack in the afternoon because that's too long of a period of time. And yes, you're going to get out of control. So let's stop it before you get to the point of getting out of control. Let's have a snack, a handful of nuts with some dried fruit, you know, or even just like a cheese stick or, you know, just some of those little grab-and-go Bars, protein bars, you know, that are a good combination, not just protein, but carbs, protein, and fat. Um, I, we talk about that a lot. Just something that maybe you could, maybe, and maybe you don't have time to do it during the afternoon at work, but at least on your way home in the car, have something to take the edge off so that when you come home, you can collect yourself enough to feel like you can make your dinner or, you know, cook or do whatever you need to do. And then you're in control when you eat your dinner.
1: Right. And then that nighttime, you know, when things are settling down, like I said, I think earlier that nobody's getting into the veggie tray at nine o'clock at night. (laughs) You know, what are your tips for, you know, that boredom, settle down time eating that we all experience, I think?
0: Yeah, I I think it's important to feel satisfied with your meal and allow yourself to enjoy your food and That's when I feel like I get out of control is like, okay, I I, I was too good at dinner. You know, we had like a really low fat dinner. It was high in vegetables. And then I'm like, I'm starved, you know. Uh, Right. And so that can be hard for me. And I end up snacking then. So I guess making sure your dinner is satisfying and it's not low, low fat, low, low everything, you know, and that it's a good balance and that you can enjoy it number one, and then number two, if you do have to go to a snack. So my rule for myself, and this works really well for me, is if I'm hungry, I have to ask myself, okay, am I truly hungry right now or am I bored? And the only way to tell is if I'm truly hungry, I would sit down and eat some vegetables and hummus. I would sit down and eat an apple. And if that's not the case and I'm truly just looking for you know, I don't know, like, uh, I'm just looking for sweets and treats and stuff like that, then I know I'm in trouble and I'm just not, I'm bored. And I am a big boredom eater. So if, if I answer that question, though, and I truly am hungry, I will have a snack and I make sure that it's got at least one fruit or a vegetable when I sit down in that evening snack and right. some protein, and then if I still want the ice cream or the piece of chocolate or whatever the treat is, um, or even like corn chips or something like that, then I will do that, but I try to have balance to that snack.
1: I think it's okay too, and we talk about with this with diabetes, I'm sure you do too, about that planned bedtime snack. Yeah. And I think it's okay, especially if you're an early dinner eater. Let's say you're yeah. eating at five thirty or six o'clock, it would be a long time for you to wait till breakfast the next morning. Particularly right. if you have diabetes. Right. So knowing that you have a planned snack,
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: like feeding little kids. If they know there's a, a planned snack coming. Yeah. If you know our snack tonight is going to be popcorn, mm-hmm. you know, in front of the T V, or if we know right. our snack tonight is going to be cheese and crackers at nine thirty and you say, Okay, I know I'm having this. And it's it you it's a, that planning. Yes. Sometimes can be really helpful, and you, that way you know it. You know, at nine o'clock, if you're hungry, you're not reaching for ice cream because you know at nine thirty is when I have my cheese and crackers, right. and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, Yes. And I think that's okay. Yes. I think that's just fine.
0: Yep, I agree. I agree that, and especially like you said with the diabetics, uh, it's way too long. We need to have some sort of snack, and it needs to be yeah. balanced. So. Yep. And thought out. So. All right. Well, thanks for kind of going through that with me, because it's just, you know, it, it's one of those things that I do think that we need more research out there. And it will be fascinating to hear if we can get some really good repetitive studies showing us that insulin response is different when we eat more in the morning. But... It, until we do, I honestly feel like it's more of a matter for me and what I recommend to my clients is eating consistently throughout the day. Right. Because that's I'm, our takeaway. That's my yeah. takeaway because as much as I'd like to eat a smaller meal at dinner, it's just not realistic with my lifestyle. I want to have right. a nice dinner with my family. I want to sit right. down. I want to hear about their day. I. That's when I have time to cook and be creative. And that's when I want to do that meal. And I, I, uh, in our society that's just the way it is <laughs> so right.
1: so i think we can kind of bust that maybe a little bit yeah. you know it's yeah it's okay instead of maybe a king prince and pauper how about just eating like a a person a person a person yeah three times a day <laughs> yes i like <laughs> you that know, as opposed to you know focusing so much on you know eating that big meal earlier in the day just like you said eating consistently Mm -hmm. I would say that's probably the biggest trap I see most people in is that they really restrict either consciously or unconsciously Mm -hmm. during the day and then really get themselves set up for having a bad night yep and then nobody wants that exactly yep well we look forward to more show ideas it's good to be back <laughs> and we always want your suggestions you can uh, email us at dish at secretliferd.com. you can follow us on instagram at the secret life dietitians or on twitter at t dietitians and we look forward to seeing you next time wherever you get your podcasts
0: Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland.
1: And I'm Amy Keller. We've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about what we should eat or, you know, what's the best thing to eat. So let's unpack that old saying, and I have known you've all heard it. I think I've heard it for as many years even before becoming a dietitian. That old saying, eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a princess. And dinner. Last. Ah, God, I had wine. All right, <laughs> right, let's start over. Can we please start over? Okay, yeah.